Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whatever time of day it is when you may tune in. This is Minister Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries. This is today's episode of our Truth Tidbits as we continue reading through the scriptures this year. I pray that these are a blessing to you, and I'm delighted to have you joining in. God bless you today. Today we are continuing in the book of Romans, in Romans chapter 15. And we're making more progress as we draw near to the end of this book and the end of this particular study of Scripture. And today I'd like for us to cover Romans chapter 15, verses 7 through 13. So I'd like to begin by reading those. Therefore, receive one another, just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Now I say that Jesus Christ has become a servant to the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made to the fathers and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as it is written. For this reason, I will confess to you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again, he says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Laud him, all you peoples. And again, Isaiah says, There shall be a root of Jesse, and he shall rise up to reign over the Gentiles. In him the Gentiles shall hope. Now, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So I want us to understand what Paul is speaking of here. And I wanted to begin with verse 7. We ended the last session with verse 7. And verse 7 is somewhat of a summation and a conclusion to all of chapter 14 and chapter 15 through verse 6. And he is reminding us that we all need to receive each other and recognize that we too are works in progress, just like all of our brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ are. We are all works in progress, so therefore we must receive one another, recognizing that Jesus has done the same for us warts and all, imperfections and all. So then he goes on and he expresses next, in this next section, the wisdom of God, that mind-blowing ocean of unsearchable riches that Paul has already spoken of in chapter 11, and we did a message on that. Jesus came the first time. Paul is helping us understand now the purpose and through the wisdom of God, all that was accomplished through Jesus' first coming. Jesus came the first time as the suffering servant to the Jews. Paul says here, he came, he became a servant to the circumcision. That's referring to the Jewish people but it was for a purpose. But he did not, he also doesn't leave out the Gentiles as well. And so now he makes it clear 
a large swath of this book that he has expressed and expressed in detail all of these different things about his treatise and laid these things out about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so now that he's drawing to a close, he's summarizing it, he's clarifying everything. And he tells us Jesus came the first time as the suffering servant, specifically to the Jews, to the circumcision. And that word for servant is actually diakonos. It's the word from which we get deacon. And it's talking about being one who obeys the orders of another or one who is running errands and waiting, attending to the needs and the wishes of another, similar to a waiter or a, or a waitress in a restaurant. They're attending to the needs of those they've come to serve. They are obeying the orders of their bosses. They are obeying the orders and running the errands that they are given to run. And so Paul is telling us here that Jesus became such a servant to the Jewish people. And Isaiah, in the book of Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 53, he prophetically speaks of the suffering servant, Jesus Christ, and how he would come in his first coming as such a suffering servant. I encourage you to read Isaiah chapter 53 and see all the beauties of Jesus in that passage and what he did that, that became evident and literally happened in the Gospels in the time of Jesus' ministry. But I want to read for us Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 5. It says this, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So here, Paul is telling us in Philippians about Jesus coming as that suffering servant, how he humbled himself and became obedient to the task given to him, which was all the way to his death on the cross. And God accepted his payment, his blood as payment for our sins by raising him from the dead. That's the beauty of the gospel. And Jesus did that as the suffering servant prophesied by Isaiah 53. And the purpose for the Jewish people, Paul tells us here, specifically, he came as the suffering servant to prove God's truth, to confirm God's covenant. It was 
a sign. It was designed to prove to the Jewish people God's truth, make God's promise and its fulfillment evident to them. As Jesus confirmed the covenant promises of the Abrahamic covenant, because it's the covenant. He came to confirm the covenant made to the fathers. That phrase refers to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He was to confirm that covenant. He came establishing it, ratifying it, making it stable and firm through proof. He was absolute proof. He met every point demanded, and he came and confirmed the original covenant God had given to the fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So what are the terms of that original covenant that Jesus came and ratified and proved? I'd like to go back and look at several passages quickly so that we understand what Jesus ratified that was promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I want to begin in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This was the original covenant promise made to Abraham, and part of that included the fact that through Abraham's seed, those that would come from his own body, all the families of the earth, including all Gentiles, now will be blessed. So in Galatians, in Galatians now, remember the promise was that in Abraham's seed, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. I want to look at Galatians chapter 3, and I want to read verses 16 and 17. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to your seed, who is Christ. And this I say, that the law, which was 430 years later, cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed before by God in Christ, that it should make the promise of no effect. So Galatians proves to us that the seed that was promised all the way back in Genesis to Abraham is Jesus Christ. He is the proof positive. He is the fulfillment of that. He is the one who came to confirm that covenant. Now, Let's look at a few other chapters and a few other verses that give us information about this covenant made to the fathers. Genesis chapter 12 was just the initial word of promise in a 
seed form, so to speak, and there was no pun intended on that. It was talking about Abraham's seed that would bless all the families of the earth, but it was given to Abraham also in a seed form, just in somewhat of a capsule or summary form. But God develops that with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob and makes it clearer as we go along. So in Genesis chapter 15, verses 4 through 6, it says this, And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, meaning to Abram, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven and count the stars, if you are able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And he, meaning Abraham, believed in the Lord, and he, meaning God, accounted it to him for righteousness. So we see a little more information about this. It's a specific descendant. It's not someone who was born in his house that he's sort of adopted, but it would be one that would come from his own body. That's the seed. Now, if you go on down in Genesis 15, you will see how God walks this out by making a unilateral covenant that he cuts with Abraham and the entire onus, the entire responsibility is on God. Reading this chapter, you will find out that the Lord tells Abram to go and gather these certain animals and to cut them in two, which was a form in that day of cutting covenant. It would be an actual cut with a blood covenant. So they would cut the covenant, the animals, walk through those pieces, making a covenant and saying, in essence, let it be done to me what was done to these animals if I do not keep the terms of this covenant. So God was very serious. He made a covenant in this chapter with Abraham, and he did it through this actual event that he brings to pass. And so in this particular case, though, he puts Abraham to sleep. Abram goes to sleep. He's not even a part of this covenant. God puts him to sleep, and God alone walks through this covenant, proving that it's a covenant of grace, not of works. God knew that Abraham could not keep the terms of the covenant, nor could his children later on. So God formed the covenant totally based upon himself, and his ability. That's why we are so grateful for the true grace of God that has saved us, that has brought us in through the seed of Jesus Christ to the covenant blessings God had promised. And God fulfilled his end of the bargain. He walked through those pieces, making this covenant all on his own shoulders all on his own responsibility. And Jesus is the proof positive that he, in fact, fulfilled that covenant that God had made originally with Abram. Then if you come on down in Genesis to a few chapters later, Genesis chapter 17, 
verses 1 through 8 and verses 12 through 18 speak of more details of this covenant that God will give him Isaac, the son. Isaac is promised, and it will be through the line of Isaac that this seed, this promised Messiah, this one who will come and confirm and ratify this covenant and prove it will come. He will come through the seed of Isaac. And so God makes very clear in these verses that it is Isaac that God has chosen. Then if you come over to Genesis 21, Genesis 21 verses 3 through 5, you see God fulfilling that promise and Isaac is born some 13 years after the time when Ishmael had been born and some 25 years after God had originally given him the promise of a son. So now God fulfills that and Isaac is born. Then we come to Genesis chapter 22 and Abraham's faith is tested here. And God actually draws a picture right in front of Abraham's eyes of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he shows him exactly what God will do to prove this covenant by the giving of his own son, because he's testing Abram to come up and offer Isaac now to the Lord. Now, God despised human sacrifice. It's an abomination to God, and he will have none of that. So this was purely a test, and God knew what Abraham would do, or he would never have told him. But I want us to notice in verse 7 and 8, I want to read this. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. Then he, meaning Isaac, said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Some versions say the Lord will provide himself. That's exactly what he really did when you come to the Gospels. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He provided himself. If you come over, you see the picture of that in verse 13, then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. God provided the ram for the substitute. God provided Jesus as our substitute. God's own son took our sin upon himself and died in my place and in your place as our substitute. Praise God for what he did. And the Lord proved the covenant he had made to Abraham through Jesus Christ. Then if you come over to chapter 26, I want to read verses 1 through 5. Genesis 26, verse 1. There was a famine in the land besides the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines in Gerar. Then the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. 
Live in the land of which I shall tell you. Dwell in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and your descendants I give all these lands. And I will perform the oath to which I swore to Abraham your father. And I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of heaven. I will give to your descendants all these lands, and in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So here we see God confirming that exact same covenant now with Isaac, one of the patriarchs, the son of Abraham. And he continues on with the same covenant promises. Then we go to Genesis chapter 27 and verse 28 and 29. We see in this chapter, Isaac is old and he is about to bless his sons. He wants to bless He wants to give the birthright, the the firstborn blessing to Esau because he had a favorite and he kind of liked Esau best. And Rebecca, she had a favorite for Jacob. And so she and Jacob concoct this thing where Jacob's going to deceive Isaac and receive the blessing. Now, I'm not giving any credence to what they did. The Bible doesn't clarify any of that to us, so I'm not going beyond what the Bible tells us. I don't believe that the deception part was necessarily correct. However, I do know that God is sovereign over it all. And so the blessing that God had promised and should come to Jacob now from Isaac and through Isaac does in fact come in the sovereignty of God. And so I want us to read verses 28 and 29 of Genesis 27. Therefore, this is Isaac talking to Jacob and giving him the blessing, even though he thought it was Esau. Therefore, may God give you of the dew of heaven, of the fatness of the earth, and plenty of grain and wine. Let peoples serve you and nations bow down to you. Be masters over your brethren and let your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be those who bless you. So we see God sovereignly passing the blessing on to Jacob in this passage. Now, there comes a place when God himself passes this directly to Jacob to prove that it was the Lord blessing Jacob, and the blessing of God was to go to Jacob. And it's found in Genesis chapter 28, verse 13 through 15. This is when we read about Jacob's dream, where he dreams about the ladder or the staircase that goes all the way to heaven from his pillow all the way up to the heavenly throne of God. And in verse 13, it says this, And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. Also, your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. 
You shall spread abroad to the west and the east, to the north and the south, and in you and in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. So here we see God directly giving the same covenant blessing and the same covenant promise to Jacob. I just want to also mention Genesis chapter 33, verses 18 through 20, and Genesis chapter 35, verse 1, and verse 9, and verse 9 through 15. All of these passages show us the blessing and the confirming of covenant, the covenant promises that were given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to the fathers. And these are the promises, these are the covenant promises that Paul refers to here in Romans chapter 15. And he is telling us that Jesus came as proof positive to ratify, stabilize, make firm, and confirm those promises to the fathers. So God had made and promised the same covenant to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the promise was that through their seed, Jesus Christ, the descendant, the, the one and only that was going to come, that this covenant would now come into fruition, all of the promises being fulfilled in due time, and all the families of the earth being blessed. So let's read about that. In Galatians chapter 4, I want to read verses 1 through 5. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the Father. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world, but when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. So Paul is simply saying here that when the appointed time came, God sent the seed, Jesus Christ, the one who was born under the law, to redeem both Jews and Gentiles, that all would now receive the adoption as sons. So this is how Jesus has confirmed the covenant. He fulfilled the covenant, thereby proving its truth, proving God's faithfulness, and securing the salvation and the blessing that God had promised so long ago. And this is where the mind-blowing ocean of the unsearchable wisdom and riches of God comes in. At the same time, in God's wisdom, Jesus was fulfilling the covenant promise to the Gentiles so that all the families of the earth 
including the Gentiles now, would come in, be adopted as sons and daughters into the family of God and glorify God in recognition of his mercy to save them also. Because God saves and redeems and justifies all who will believe in Jesus Christ and in his finished work on the cross, saving us guilty sinners. And in recognition of that mercy, we now have the opportunity and are called into the family of God and can bring him great glory. In proving this, Paul quotes several people from the Old Testament. And if you'll remember, in the book of Deuteronomy, God lays out a principle and he says that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, a thing is established. And so Paul proves that now by quoting these scriptures from the Old Testament, speaking of the Gentiles also in the wisdom of God being brought in and all the families of the earth being blessed through the promise that was confirmed by Jesus Christ. So first he quotes David in Psalm 18, verse 49, which is also found also in 2 Samuel chapter 22, verse 50. He quotes Moses, who wrote in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 43. I want to read a couple of these last ones to you. He also quotes the author of Psalm 117, which may or may not have been David. We don't know. It's not named. But in Psalm 117, it says, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Laud him, all you peoples. For his merciful kindness is great toward us, and the truth of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. What a fitting passage for Paul to quote in this section. Then he quotes Isaiah 11.10. Isaiah 11 is talking about the root that comes forth from Jesse and the branch that grows out of his roots. And it says this in verse 10. And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse who shall stand as a banner to the people for the Gentiles shall seek him and his resting place shall be glorious. Paul explains how this is telling us that he's coming and being the source of hope for the Gentiles as well. We can expect the good that he has promised, not just to the Jewish people, but also to us Gentiles as well. So in verse 13, I want to close by reading this again. This is Paul's summary conclusion of this section and his heart's desire that he expresses here. He wants the whole body of Jesus Christ, both Jew and Gentile believers alike, at whatever stage of growth or progress they each are, as he's identified in chapters 14 and 15, no matter where they are in the Lord, he wants every believer now to be filled by God with all joy and peace in believing to the point that each one now is overflowing abundantly in excess 
pouring out and overflowing in hope. And that word hope means confident expectation of good through the dynamite power of the Holy Spirit. And Paul is proving here that we can abound in hope because God has sent Jesus Christ as proof positive, the one who confirms the covenant with the Jews all the way back to the fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who were each given the promise that through their seed, meaning Jesus, all the families of the earth would be blessed. And so now it is one body of Jesus Christ made up of all who will believe in Jesus, both Jew and Gentile. And all of us can overflow in hope. This is Paul's desire. So I close with this verse and all I can say at the end is amen. May it be so. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. May God make it so for each and every believer in Jesus Christ. I pray that this has been a blessing to you. And Lord willing, you can join us again for future episodes of Truth Tidbits. God bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.